You're listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the Racehorse Owners Association, and the racing app in partnership with Fitzdevs. Good morning. Thanks for listening. It's Wednesday, February the 7th. Dull grey cold here in TW11. Later in this edition, we'll be asking how a retired police sergeant managed to run up debts of £158 million as he executed a complex Ponzi scheme by setting up a racehorse ownership syndicate. We will also be heading to the point-to-point field. It has been their darkest hour this week with the loss of Keegan Kirby, news that we brought you on Monday. But you know this is a tight community that will rally round one another. And in partnership with our friends at Thoroughbid, we are very pleased to be bringing you 20 editions of the Pointing Bulletin between now and the end of the season in June. We'll of course be off to Hong Kong as we are every Wednesday with J.A. McGrath. But fears are growing for the champion hurdle, as I said yesterday. Fear not, because Not So Sleepy will be turning up for the fifth consecutive year. He is back and Huey Morrison offers that and as always much much more later in the program first though i did wonder whether constitution hills enforced break had coincided not necessarily coincidentally with the break enjoyed by his owner michael buckley who is back and that's a question i put right to him well it happened that that's what occurred only in that i was away and would have had to change my plans to come back for the international but as it turned out he had a slight sort of health blip like most of the population in this country um and um so that didn't happen so i stayed where i was but um it wasn't actually designed to be that way i mean it's been frustrating in that newcastle was abandoned and then boxing day well i thought it went very well um but you all have a view about that um and then we had this little hiccup just with a slightly poor scope at the end of january and there was a little bug that a few horses had and he picked it up and and um we just didn't feel like pushing on through any anything like that at, at that moment of time i mean i suppose if it had been the champion hurdle you'd have pushed on and hope for the best but what's the point of doing that with a horse that good you're you're uh, experienced enough in in this game to know that when you've got a horse of this caliber a everybody likes to talk about him b if he's not seen everybody wants to know why and c in addition to that if they don't think they know exactly what's going on then various confections will will start swirling around uh, i mean are you are you in a position to confirm that he's in a1 nick as far as you're aware now well, unless there's a huge subterfuge going on that I know nothing about, as far as I know, he's fine. Nicky tells me he's fine. I I would imagine that um, Nicky Henderson curses uh, me and others when we try and elicit lots of juicy nuggets from you about where you'd like to run the horse. You know, whether it's at Royal Ascot or the Moon or uh, you know, at Punchestown or or wherever. Um, but have you have you got a few things that you'd like between now and the end of the season beyond the champion hurdle? All of those and more. Yeah. <laughs> and and by the way, just going back to what you said just now, you say I've had lots of experience of horses of this caliber. 
I wish I had. Well, I've you, never had anything like this. No, I said, I said, you, I said, you've, you're very experienced in the game, and you know that yeah. you know when there are horses of this caliber, you know the kind of level of public interest in them. I'd like to win the champion hurdles. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I think that after that, um, then he he could only really this season on jumping in the jumping season anyway go to um entry or punches town i wouldn't be a fan of doing both i once won a ran a really nice young horse at both and um barry garrett said to me i know he's six but he rides like a four-year-old and he did win the the big novice of three staying event in punches town but it ruined the horse and i know this horse is older and more talented but I wouldn't be, a, I wouldn't be a huge fan of doing both. Mm-hmm. The, these horses that win easily, and and I was fooled into thinking, oh, well, they have an easy race because they don't. It's just that they put, they're that much more talented, and they put that and they put everything in, and that's why they win so visually impressive. And, and is that why do you think you know the last three seasons? I know this has been he he's had his bad scope, but the last three seasons, Nicky Anderson's gone from December to March without a run. Is that because he takes more time to get over his races than most horses do and needs that bit more time? Is that is that the narrative that's now starting to emerge a little bit? No, I don't think so at all, no. I think that it's to do with the programme book um, that just aren't... Unless you want to run in the Betfair hurdle and everything else starts at Mindstone 7 or something, there just aren't the races for the horse. Um, I mean, I saw David Nelsworth went, oh, it was much more, you know, competitive in our day and we ran them and everything. But then, uh, you know, I used to decry how few times top horses ran mm. when I before I had one. But there are just a very limited number of opportunities in the programme book. Unless you're super brave and you... Go to Ireland. Go to Ireland in in February. I, I think the travelling is the thing. It's just going to take that much more out of them. And um, I guess we all want to try to win a championship race. So you try to give the horse the best preparation you can. And just, I've got, for my good fortune, an experienced and you know modestly uh, conservative trainer. I mean, Nicky loves escapades and going overseas and all that sort of thing, but just want to make sure it's the right time of year. Okay. Um, do you think he is more conservative now than he was when you first had horses together? No. Just the same? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I'm, um, <laughs> Nicky has this reputation of sort of being dyed in some Victorian cloth or something, and um, you you can't do that anyway now because I just get a bit restless and so forth. I, I think he's I think he's uh, he's conservative with good horses because a he wants to try to win the good races for the horse, the owner, and himself, um, and he also wants to give them the best opportunity. But I, we used to travel horses, and we've talked about it and. I mean, there, there are lots of things, like take Vauban, who over hurdles we beat a few times last year. I mean, it says, oh, why? you know, people say to me, why didn't you run in the World Cup? Well, we've, he was handicapped from the flat. We have no handicap. So those sort of things are pretty tricky. Um, the only race like that, which is why I came up with this silly idea of 
the Asquith Cup. Probably silly. I mean, we've never found out. But you know, what would worry me about that uh, is partially the fact that he's it's going to interrupt his time in the off season. But it's actually the ground because you know, even good to soft flat ground, which I mean, you can have a you know day of thunderstorms at Asquith and it gets soft, but. I mean, good to soft flat ground will be very quick ground for him. Um, and, and he's a big horse. And yeah, he's something special, Nick, as you know. You, you just want to care for him. You don't get less fond of having a horse like this around. So I'd like him to be as round, round and as healthy as possible or as long as possible. All right. Well, that was Michael Buckley. I'm joined now by Rishi Passat. I don't really want to go around the old arguments about whether Constitution <laughs> Hill should run more often during the season. I mean, the first key point of news, Rishi, particularly mm. when you've got a situation where chatter is circling about well-being of the champion hurdle favourite, is he's apparently in good nick, and it looks like either Aintree or punches down after Cheltenham. Yeah, and um, generally, uh, despite what everybody says, not only do we appreciate uh, information from owners, trainers, etc. But the betting always gives a good indication. There doesn't seem to be any major shakes around Constitution Hill, which is all positive for his chances. Um, but it was interesting. And I know we don't want to go down the road of talking about Constitution Hill appearing on the race course more and more, but um, there's a certain amount of uh, discussion that is inevitable when it involves a horse of his caliber uh, and how often they appear on the race course. And I'm pretty certain that will continue for as long as he retains his unbeaten record. It was interesting though. I asked Michael Buckley whether I th he thought that Nicky Henderson had become more conservative in his campaigning since he'd known him. And he said, no, it was just a question of playing the ball mm. to suit. And I, and I get that. Um, but I, I think back to a conversation that I was lucky enough to have with Ruby Walsh about Corto Star and mentioned about in the early days of Corto Star's career, how he was being protected with the aim of winning the champion chase. So he ran, I think the first time he won the Tingle Creek, he didn't have another run after the Tingle Creek till running in the champion chase where he fell at the second and um, Moscow Flyer trampled all over Ruby and it looked a horrible fall. Um, but the following season, because he'd had that defeat, because he'd fallen in the champion chase and that target went pear-shaped, the following season, Paul Nichols decided that he was just going, or Connections decided they were just going to run him now. There were no more modern coddling of Corto Star. And he then proceeded to run in the Old Rhone, the Betfair Chase, the Tingle Creek, the Denman Chase, or the Aeon as it was then, the Gold Cup. Obviously, uh, am I missing something? The King George? I mean, it was the most wonderful sequence of racing. And there's a side of me that wonders what would happen. Say, State Man beats constitution hill in the champion hurdle this year do you think do racing people think that connections might become a bit more adventurous with how they campaign constitution hill next season were he to suffer defeat you know an honorable defeat uh, were he to go down guns blazing against statement but be beaten um might that change how they go about campaigning him in the following season i think it possibly will less less afraid of protecting that unbeaten record perhaps well as i said yesterday on this show there is every chance of a tiny tiny field for the champion hurdle constitution hill state man bob Ollinger's out and perry passes out and beyond that you're 
scrabbling around trying to find likely candidates for the third spot. Well, we know one horse who's going to run. You know who that is, Rishi? Yes. Three, three, three words. Yeah, one of and them he's... involves one of my favourite activities. Um, yeah, yes, indeed it does. Not so sleepy. He's run in the last four champion hurdles. I've been speaking to his trainer, Huey Morrison, and uh, asked him how he was getting on. He was in, um, just before you rang me, he was, uh, he was slightly misbehaving, then went past me like a rocket. So he looks well, he waits well. He'll have probably, probably take him to Lambourne one day. He quite likes going there. Uh, we'll take him for a school. And then we'll go off to all big fingers crossed. We'll take him there in good nick. Yeah. Uh, fun enough, I've never felt ever that he's been at his best when we've had him at Cheltenham. Um, not sure why, but he's always been, in my view, a better horse in November, December. But um, that's why we're giving him, freshening him up, trying to get him to his very best in March this year. Uh, given that he won the uh, one of the two Grade One hurdles, open to all over two miles, um, we felt he better take his chance. And, you know, he's, he hates, he really hates Kempton. I don't know what it is. But when we took him there to have a gallop on the all-weather this time last year, he literally pulled himself up. So, yeah, we're just hoping for a nice soft ground and um, run his usual good race. Uh, you, you take him each year. Each year he runs with credit. It, it did strike me that there was an obvious, an obvious uh, contrast between the way that you campaign this horse and you had a go at it and it didn't work and you came back and he ran a bit better and then you've run twice since and he's been a part of one of the biggest days in national hunt racing having won his grade ones and if you've taken the view that some people do well we can't possibly win that or beat constitution hill so we won't bother turning up then you know if everybody took that to its logical conclusion the horse would literally have a walkover yeah it's a we sit it's it's a mindset really as everybody terrified, I think of being of being beaten, and I, you know we all we all suffer from it. Uh, the good, the nice thing about something having slits and not so sleepy, and, and actually, what the, uh, Pam Bide also has quicks on. Yeah, you know we're not we're not always we're not frightened of getting beaten, so we we go and have a go. We have a go, and. The danger of our sport as people, as we've seen recently, is not to have a go. But we can see, even from last weekend, one or two very fancy horses did not perform. And and we're looking at a situation where it is genuinely not inconceivable that you could have an amount of runners you could count on on the fingers of one hand in a champion hurdle. Now, you train across both codes, and there was a really interesting piece, I thought, by by Mark Boylan in the Irish field yesterday, I don't know if you've seen it, where he, he contrasted the percentages of horses who who had come off the flat running in champion hurdles now compared to a decade ago, and it made incredibly stark reading. You barely get a single horse off the flat in a champion hurdle these days. Um, and I, and I, wonder, I wonder if that is just a talent drain abroad or whether it's symptomatic of a of a wider issue and if that if there is if it is then I'm, what that issue is the, the internationalization of racing and <clears throat> that sort of horse the sort of the 95 to 110 flat horse maybe 105 who stays a mile and a quarter plus there are just so many good opportunities abroad 
um, on the flat. And that's, you know, that's the way everybody thinks. If I have a horse which stays a mile and six and wins a nice handicap on 90, you know you're going to get a very serious serious offer from Australia. The other, the other side of the coin is if you keep the flat horse to go hurdling with the thought process of running in a, a flat race here, I think we find it... it a combination of being very competitive, um, not only in handicaps, but in the quality of horses, uh, coupled with the lack, of the, the relative lack of prize money, the prize money um, relative to what you could get, you, the horse could be sold for. You know, it's very unlikely they're going to end up going. Nice stairs are going to go hurdling. Mm. I, I do, I do wonder now as well whether the actual innate ability of a horse that is supposedly bred for jumping is is greater i was i was thinking that when i watched Burdette road you know a royal ascot winner with loads of speed had bolted up at cheltenham the previous time getting w- brushed aside by this beast trained by nicky henderson that you'd never have thought was a was a three-year-old or a four-year-old i suppose one thing i didn't notice was that the uh G, whatever it's gino or something it has had a wind operation so I'd always take on a horse, a young horse had taken on a wind operation because they don't necessarily carry on working for long. Mm. Is that right? Do you do you find that if you if you give uh, particularly a, a jumper a, a wind up that you you generally have to get it done again fairly quickly? What we never know is um, uh, publicly is what sort of imp- uh, wind operation that the, the horse has had, and they vary hugely. <laughs> so would that be a better idea then? Do you think if we actually knew whether it was a whether it was a tie forward or a tie back or a hob day or a soft callet cauterization which is obviously the most common one it would be better for science and then we'll probably find that some horses some horses in other jurisdictions will come over having had a wind operation and we don't know they have i don't think they have the same rule in ireland or in france you have to declare wind operations which raises the ugly point about are we on a level playing field well because we have to declare our wind ops and they don't yeah, one, lots of other things we have to do, and we are policed on it, quite rightly. Shouldn't we have the same protocols in at least every European country if we're, if we're selling and trading and racing horses between the three nations? Well, you hope so. Uh, sometimes somebody has to take the lead, and then the others eventually follow. You know, you get a lot of... I think that happens all over the world, doesn't it? Somebody does something like that, and they follow. It does leave a certain question mark about how horses are trained and treated if we have different rules in different countries. Well, as ever, Huey, loads of food for thought. Um, but most importantly, back to where we started this interview, uh, it's it's great that the intention is for Not So Sleepy to run and look forward to hopefully seeing you at Cheltenham in March. No, no, we, yeah, no we're, 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 definitely, we're definitely going to be there. You know, Lord and Lady Blyther uh, of extremely sporting they like they like the challenge too and um it's fun being part of a such a, an occasion as well that was huey morris now of course there's minding a horse and there's minding a horse now when the horse is 12 you've kind of got a bit of a buy haven't you when you've run them in four champion hurdles and about 17 cesarowiches and you started <laughs> off winning the d stakes at chester and all the things along the way a couple of fighting fifths into the bargain um ducking out at a hurdle and doing all sorts of maverick things winning a handicap at ascot by hmm. half the length of the straight i'm sure your good friend and mine steve mellish backed him for the champion hurdle after that one year 
I'm pretty certain. Yes, he was a big fan of not so. I think he still is a big fan. He certainly has a soft spot uh, for for not so sleepy, dear old Steve. Um, not sure that, but he's also uh, a huge supporter of uh, Constitution Hill. He was one of those people who, after he won his first race at Sandown, um, quickly decided that he might be something special. Now, um, this horse uh, is trained by a man who is. You, you ring him about not so sleepy. You end up with so much more. <laughs> yeah, and we got into. All sorts there. I'm quite interested to hear what he was saying about you know, wind operations and harmonization of rules. And it did it did make me think, well, if if you have to declare wind surgery before a run in the UK, then you know, why isn't the case in Ireland and why isn't it the case in France? And at, at what sort of disadvantage are we when you know we have to do that and others don't? Well, it's a very fair question, and I think it is. It's better for all uh, rules and regulations if they're harmonized. And obviously, there's a lot of red tape to get through before that sort of thing happens. But that should be the aim in the long term. That should really be the the goal that uh, the sports rules, particularly in uh, jurisdictions where those racecourse or racehorses are continuously competing against each other, like, for example, between England and Ireland, England, France, and Ireland, um, there's constant uh, regular competition between those nations. I think it's a fair call, and, and I think that it's something that we ought to be working towards. It makes sense. I mean, the rules are for the betterment that we announced the wind, wind ops here. I think that's been a positive uh, for British racing in the last few years, the fact that we know that horses have had the wind ops. Um, but I think it's important that they're spread because those horses are competing regularly against horses where we don't know all the facts and figures and all the details about. And I think that makes it a tricky situation for, for punters as much as anything else. And of course, Hugh makes a salient point about the different types of wind operation and their sometimes relative lack of invasiveness and sometimes them being much, much more serious. And all you see on the race card is wind surgery it could be something very very small to very very big um so perhaps a little more specificity mightn't go amiss uh, i did actually put a call into the ihrb the irish horse racing regulatory board and said any plans for ireland to make mandatory declaration of wind operations no plans at present was the answer that returned but we always keep everything under review i'm not going to be anticipating an announcement on that in 2024 Rishi, tell me what's been happening with lazy racing, talking of enhancing current <laughs> regulatory protocols. It is an extraordinary situation. Um, Michael Stanley, who used to be a sergeant for Kent Police, set up lazy racing. Um, he did so uh, with the backing of family and friends, and that was, I think, 14 years ago. Uh, that racing syndicate got a little bit bigger, and by the time it came to a collapse in 2019 there were up to 6000 members um paying but he was operating michael stanley he was operating a ponzi scheme lazy racing filed for bankruptcy in january 2019 uh debts of 22 million but the extraordinary figure the extraordinary figure at the high court hearing afterwards was that creditors of lazy racing were owed 158.7 million pounds due to the fact that michael stanley was operating a ponzi scheme um, that paid out members with money from new people subscribing 
to the syndicate. It's an extraordinary figure. Um, and when you think of what he would have been trying to leverage from the new members to run up debts to creditors of 158 million, it's hard to fathom that level of fraud and deception. But obviously it then leads you into thinking about how syndicates are regulated. Regulated, exactly. In, in the UK and the BHA. I mean, there is a code of conduct for syndicates, but a code of conduct doesn't, even even the phrasing, it doesn't suggest that there's a great deal of uh, discipline. Well, I'm trying to find the right word. The, the regulations are, are, aren't punitive enough to um, be a deterrent to behavior like this. Um, it's interesting in that code of conduct that the BHA um, have come out with, um, I think it was um, last year, they may have uh, introduced the code of conduct. One of the things that they suggest, and they there is no fixed stipulation on syndicates to conduct themselves by the code of conduct, um, but one of the things they suggest that syndicates should do is to provide a financial statement at least every year. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that that sort of thing never happened with Lazy Racing and that Michael Stanley was just getting away with it each and every season until finally um, it caught up with him. Rich, you'll have heard our chat about the Grand National yesterday. Uh, Gordon Elliott with 26 of the entries. Uh, Ireland dominant uh, as they were last year and have been in, in recent seasons. Any hint, do you think, amongst the entries of uh, a horse or horses that, that, that might do well in the, in the race from this side of the sea? Uh, from this side of the sea? Well, obviously, uh, Korak Rambler. I mean, without sounding very boring, um, I do think... I mean, Obviously, the top eight of the top ten in the betting for the Grand National, as you would imagine, are trained in Ireland. The top two in the market for Britain are Corrett Ramble and Nassalam. Um, I think Corrett Ramble is going to run a really good race in the Grand in the Gold Cup before the Grand National. Anyway, I think he, I can't see him on any known form beating Galapandashan, but I think he's going to run well. And I think his price will shorten even further for the national he absolutely bolted up last year he he seemed to enjoy every step of the grand national last year and i i think he's at the moment i think he'll be you know, as, as close as it comes to his price i think his price will shorten up after the gold cup and i think that he's probably the best hope that we have of of retaining the title all right continuing our look ahead to the excellent action of the weekend at newbury the betfair hurdle uh, has a number of horses in who you feel haven't yet uh, reached the summit of their ability. One of those is certainly the, the French-bred Cam Sinas, who's trained by Fergal O'Brien for the Noel Feely Racing Syndicates. Uh, Fergal's had tremendous success uh, this season. And this horse beat making headway in a grade two at Haydock. Things didn't go right at Aintree last time on that very, very deep ground. Is that ground a worry, again, potentially for the weekend, Fergal? Uh, the ground would be a worry. We'd have loved it to stay as it was, really. You know, I think a, a fast run two miles is actually ideal for him. He ran very well as a uh, Haydock when he won the grade two. And interestingly enough, you know, I spoke to Keenan Woods yesterday and, you know, their, uh, Ben Pauling's horse that, that would, you know, pulled up in the in the in the um injury race also you know he came out and won very well you know the other day as uh, Huntington so um yeah look it would love the ground to stay soft uh, to stay good but um the weather forecast doesn't look kind to us but we'll see how we go okay who's going to ride for you uh, Jack Hogan will ride uh, Paddy's band and uh, uh Jack Jack Hogan will take the three off yeah so he's ridden a few winners for 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 Noel uh, and David Cross so um yeah so they were they were happy to give Jack 
roll of the dice. I was going to ask you if Paddy was in good form, but then if he's banned, the answer will definitely be no. Nice piece, nice piece in the paper the other day. Yeah, no, he is. He's in great form, and look, it's a, it, it's uh, he, he's right. You wrote a lovely winner for us yesterday. It was a very tactical race, at, at, at uh, market raising, and uh, you know he's still riding very well, and, and you know. Fingers crossed. Um, we'll see where we go at the end of the season. Yeah, and of course, Dysart Enos is his big hope of a, of a festival winner. Um, how's she getting on? She's very well. Yeah, we're delighted. Obviously, she needed to go and do what she did at, at, um, at Doncaster, and she did what what we wanted her to do, and he was very pleased with her. He was very happy with her, how she went through the race, how she jumped. She's just got a great mind. But, uh, he is important to her. Okay? She has got a great mind, and she does what she wants to do or what he wants her to do, and uh, hopefully she can turn up at Cheltenham on the Thursday and, and, and uh, do, do the job for us. Okay. You, Crambo, you decided to miss the cleave at Cheltenham. Any regrets about that? No, none whatsoever. You know, like you just, I, I think probably visually you can't, you can't um, uh, appreciate how how hard those races are. You know, and it's the, the, every one of those in the first four or five would have had a terribly hard race. And Crambo had a hard race, and we'd have we'd have been rushing him after Ascot. You know, he had a lot of time off, a lot longer than I expected him to to need after um, Ascot. And look, I was very look spoke to the owners and, um, after Ascot. And there was no, there was never going to be any rush. Um, he's in great form. Um, he's missed a dogfight there, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can get him to we can get him to to, to Cheltenham on the Thursday as well. And in great form, you know, it's a few Irish horses and stuff to, to come over. But look, we'll fingers crossed. He, he's 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 definitely the, the the young legs, and you know, we're looking forward to him running. Yeah, he's the one moving forward. Good news about your great friend uh, Richard Bevis, Sparky Bevis, who's come out of hospital. And when you and I spoke on this podcast, oh, can't can't be much more than a month ago. Uh, he was in a really, really bad way. He was in- incredibly. You know, I was. I, I went to see him yesterday for a few hours at home, and it's incredible. I read the report that was on the, the table um, uh, uh, from his with all his injuries, and, and it's uh, it's nothing short of uh, miraculous how um, how he's actually sitting at home watching watching racing. So um, yeah, we had a nice couple of hours yesterday. Uh, talked a lot of rubbish, slagged a lot of people off, and uh, yeah, so he wasn't too bad. So it was a it was a lovely afternoon, and uh, hopefully um, he can continue to, uh, to to make great progress like he has been. Fergal O'Brien there. Now, as I said at the beginning of the programme, from now until the end of the British point-to-pointing season at the beginning of June, we're going to be bringing you a weekly review of what's been happening in the amateur branch of the sport. And we're going to do that in partnership with Thoroughbid's point-to-rules bonus because the online auction house is dangling a five grand bonus for any horse that is sold in the point field that goes on to win on debut under rules. Uh, All pointers sold at the February sale, British or Irish, are eligible for the five grand point to rules bonus. And that upcoming sale is a mixed sale, clearly also open to point to pointers. And the sale closes next Friday, the 16th of February. And we're able to bring you this weekly bulletin because I'm lucky enough to have the services of two people who follow the sport closer than anybody else, Ben Atkins and Sam Davis-Thomas, who, aside from their day jobs, uh, combine to make a brilliant podcast every week, Pointing Pointers. Uh, You can find it on all well-known podcast platforms and pointingpointers.co.uk. And it really is worth a listen. So it's over to you, Ben and Sam. This week in British Pointing... We were faced on Sunday afternoon with the terrible news that the much-loved point-to-point jockey Keegan Kirkby tragically lost his life. Sam, a massive loss and a huge shock to the whole community. 
Yes, exactly that, Ben. The whole thing is a complete tragedy, and quite rightly, it's been extensively covered by the racing media already. Clearly, there'll be many, many people in the racing community who will be personally deeply affected by what's happened, and our thoughts are with each and every one of them, especially his family. There's also been a Just Giving page set up in order to support the family through this extremely difficult time. As well as at Duncan Park, racing took place at Garthorpe, Charing and at Larkhill. It was at Larkhill that Regretta de Blanc and Grace of Uenke dead-heated in the Coronation Cup, a classic mixed open. The finish of this fiercely competitive event was fought out by two of the pointing's most decorated jockeys in Will Biddick and James King. Sam, two very nice horses doing battle and a rare dead heat thanks to new technology introduced last year. Yes, and unbelievably, that result continues the unbeaten streak for Regatta de Blanc, who's an exciting prospect for the pointed field, also trained by Biddick for the Pendle Partnership. At Charing, lovable rogue and admirable veteran Hawkehurst completed the first leg of a double in the saddle for Izzy Marshall, both trained by prolific trainer Alan Hill, ably assisted, of course, by his son Joe. And there's been much debate this week about a new initiative spearheaded by the team at Garthorpe, a schooling race, making use of the medical cover and operations team at the course straight after racing. It's too early to say if this is something that will take off on this side of the RSC. It's worked for them over there, but we will keep a close eye on how this develops. Trying something new has to be a positive. Absolutely, Sam. In Hunter Chases, a close relative of British pointing, of course, seen nominate an incredibly consistent and very likeable grey mare who's won or placed on 11 of her 12 starts when pointing, won again for Fiona Needham at Weatherby over the weekend, giving the always stylish John Dawson his 14th Hunter Chase winner, which he followed up with a double between the flags the following day at Duncan Park. Fiona said after the race, Sam, that she'll go straight to Cheltenham, which is really exciting. It's really exciting for everyone to know she's a real point-to-point horse. She's come through the ranks and it's something we've got to look forward to for the festival. And for anyone looking for a change in career and wants a new challenge, the point-to-point authority continue their search for a replacement for Peter Wright, the outgoing CEO. Details of the role can be found readily online. And anyone who wants to get out of the house this weekend and go pointing, we thought we'd dangle a carrot by leaving you a tip. We'd be very surprised if Caballo Diabolo, trained by John Barlow and ridden by Paddy Barlow, no relative, is out of the first three at Higham as he looks to back up his restricted win in January. And this weekend's action comes from Broxby Park on Saturday with a triple header of venues on Sunday. Friarshof in the north, Buckfastley in Devon and Higham in Suffolk where our bold selection will win. <laughs> you can stay up to date with all things Pointing by listening to or watching our podcast. Just search Pointing Pointers on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Nick, thanks so much for the opportunity to shine a light on British Pointing. It's back to you. Ben Atkins and Sam Davis-Thomas there. Boys, thanks so much. We will be back with you this time next week. Very happy on this podcast to support British Pointer Pointing, albeit that we begin in a week that has been one of the darkest ones for that sport for many years with the death of Keegan Kirby that we brought you on Monday morning. Rishi, there was a a very poignant tribute to Mm. Keegan yesterday at Taunton because a horse that he had ridden regularly won and it clearly touched rider Harry Cobden and everyone associated with the horse in the yard very deeply. Yes, a Fireflyer won yesterday uh, at Taunton and the resulting outpouring of emotion after the race was you know, tangible. Of watching Harry Cobden being interviewed uh, on racing TV and watching the reaction from those closest to to Keegan uh, Kirkby were, was very moving. Um, you know, the Paul Nichols team have obviously uh, been through a tough spell, all the people associated with the yard um, and 
you and I, I think we both put out messages recently about, you know, supporting the fund. And if there's anything that we can do from a distance, then that's one way of, um, of supporting his friends and family. But, you know, very tragic um, and very sad. And let's try and do the little bit that we can to help. For sure. Rishi back in a minute. Here's J.A. McGrath with his weekly update from Hong Kong and more joy for Andrea Atzani. Nick, plenty happening on the Hong Kong beat. Russian Emperor has had a barrier trial to put him right for another trip to Doha. He heads off to defend his crown in the HH The Emir Trophy, where he's likely to come up against Godolphin's Rebels Romance, as well as uh, Point Lonsdale, a Bally Doyle entry in the race. Douglas White says he's delighted with Russian Emperor. Also, it's the most important week of the year for Hong Kong and China and millions of Chinese worldwide. Saturday is Chinese New Year's Day. In Hong Kong, racing takes place on the third day of the new year. That's Monday the 12th. And it's a big meeting at Sha Tin. 11 races. And the crowd will be enormous, much, much bigger than in recent weeks, as punters look forward to a lucky start to the Year of the Dragon. In the meantime, there's racing at Happy Valley today. There's nine races there, and Zach Purton, very much the man to follow. He's got a great ride in race four. That's number one, Beauty Infinity, who's up the top of the weights in this Class 4, six furlong sprint. However, I think he's got the class to win with that big weight and uh, to improve on his record in Hong Kong, which so far is one win from three starts. He's a nice type by Toronado, and I think he'll beat number three, Travel Golf. So race four, number one, Beauty Infinity, to beat number three, Travel Golf. Later on in the finale, race nine, Zach Purton rides number three, Raging Blizzard. Now, this is a horse with a lot of talent, uh, however, he's drawn the extreme outside, 12 of 12 here, which is, some would say, a, a near impossible draw. But if there's one man that can get him away and get into a handy position and overcome that draw, it's Zach Purton, the reigning champion. Uh, I, despite the barrier, despite the wide draw, I go for number three, Raging Blizzard to win from number one, Bonza Perla who's a classy type, this filly, one of the few fillies that you'll see in Hong Kong. Uh, she was actually placed in an Australian guinea going back a couple of years ago. She's got an abundance of talent and can run well for Alexi Bedell. So race four, number three, I uh, should say race nine, number three, Raging Blizzard to beat number one, Bonza Perla. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. OK, thanks to Jim. Rishi has been with me this morning and he's got a tip for you. I'm going for the 6.30 at Kempton, Nick, today. Um, it's a small field, but there's a horse in the race that was last seen running in the fresh prestige stakes at uh, Goodwood. And that is Alain, trained by James Tate. She's got a mark of 81 in this uh, handicap that she runs in tonight. She was disappointing in the prestige, but uh, prior to that, she'd won on her only all-weather start. So back on the all-weather, last time they blamed the, the ground, which I can understand. Um, back on the all she's got a really good pedigree. Um, two darn Hottons, the, um, a, a very talented damn side. So I'm sure she's better than 81. Hopefully she proves that tonight at Kempton. Rishi, thanks very much. That was Wednesday, February the 7th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily in association with Timeform with the Racehorse Owners Association 
and with the Racing App in partnership with Fitstairs.